Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for April 30th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we talked to Farm Bureau's Jason Smedley about levy restoration priorities and coordination of levy management in Arkansas. We also talked with Rusty Rumley of the National Agricultural Law Center in Fayetteville about issues related to the COVID-19 outbreak. And we hear from State Representative Jeff Wardlaw about challenges facing produce growers and this year's Arkansas tomato crop. First, Greg Patterson talks to our own Jason Smedley as we approach the anniversary of the 2019 Arkansas River flooding. Smedley discusses Farm Bureau's levy restoration priorities and the coordination of statewide levy management following recommendations made by the Governor's Levy Task Force. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with Jason Smedley, and Jason's the Assistant Director of Local and Rural Affairs for Arkansas Farm Bureau. And Jason, we're coming up on an anniversary, um, not a good anniversary, but a flood from a year ago. It'll be a year ago this May. And a lot of farmers suffered from that flood. Uh, crops were wiped out, uh, levees destroyed. Um, a task force was put together by the governor to address the levee situation. Uh, they reported to him back in December and and so what's going on with levies right now as far as Farm Bureau is concerned? Well, you know, like you said, um, it was definitely detrimental uh, not only to our Farm Bureau members, but to uh, our farmers and ranchers uh, and, and agriculture across the state. And after uh, the flood, the governor uh, developed a, a levy task force to address some of the issues uh, regarding our flooding and our, and our levee systems. And he took experts from across the agriculture and, and, and levee experts uh, as well. And that included also um, uh, a Farm Bureau employee, uh, Evan Teague, who's the uh, VP of, of our commodities. And uh, we were able to have some input on how we can best address flooding in the future. And this included several meetings, and part of what the task force did was they broke up into small groups uh, to address the different issues of the levy systems across the state, and they worked in conjunction with the uh, U.S. Army of uh, Corps of Engineers, and they were able to, to find uh, different areas that, that we can improve on uh, to make our levy system better. And so Farm Bureau has made sure that, that we stay involved in that process as well as look at uh, our current policy and make sure it's in line with, uh, you know, what the governor is looking to address with the levy system. So the task force has met with, for several months, and, and they submitted their final report. And part of that final report included uh, about 17 overall recommendations, Wow, seventeen! Yes, that seventeen recommendations. <laughs> and, and and just kind of maybe give some examples of of what was in there. That's uh, obviously they're all important to to the right. levy systems, but uh, what's particularly important to Arkansas Farm Bureau members? So one of the one of the recommendations was that the 
uh, Army Corps of Engineers communicate more clearly with stakeholders regarding the procedures for inspection, uh, as well as uh, using potential state funding to in, uh, incentivize districts to enter the rehabilitation and inspection program, also known as the RIP program, and um, all board positions perform their duties as required, um, and consolidation of levy districts um, that would be better suited for the people and for flooding uh, if they're consolidated. And also um, have the task force work with county officials and stakeholders to develop a proposed legislation for the next session. I was going to ask you, um, obviously, the predominant issue is the whole COVID-19 uh, pandemic right now with, with lots of federal money pouring into stuff like that. But we recently had a, um, a, a legislative, the legislature met recently and to deal with some of the um, uh, fiscal things that the state's having to deal with. Were, were levies brought up at all, or, or is this just something right now that um, is waiting to be acted upon by the legislature? Well, it, it may it, it may not have been brought up uh, recently, but uh, before the COVID-19, it was definitely uh, part of the governor's uh, focus for the next session, uh, as well as ours as well. Um, and I, I don't think that COVID-19 is, is going to take that off the table because Arkansans uh, across the board realize the value of our levy system and the need to improve it in order to best address future flooding. How about some of the other issues you thought um, or, or Farm Bureau thought was important uh, that were in the context of that report to the governor. Anything come to mind? Well, uh, our board uh, discussed developing fact sheets on levy boards and districts regarding their operation, accountability of the boards, and the makeup of the boards. Uh, we want to make sure that that um, we stay involved and engaged on uh, the procedures and the process of the levy boards so that the best decisions can be made for those individual district, districts at a local level. And that uh, while we may have uh, state oversight, we may have the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers oversight, but the decisions on the ground are made by those local levy boards. So they're making decisions within the confines and the context of U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the the uh, state levy boards. Yes, yeah, so it's it's basically so so they they stay involved in understanding about uh, what they need uh, as far as maintenance, upkeep, uh, repairs, inspections, uh, but they also have consideration of how their decisions are impacting. Uh, the other levy districts that they're connected to. Okay. How about um, explain to our listeners the fact that there are federal levies that are out there, obviously that the Corps has jurisdiction over and works works with, um, and then there's a bunch of private levies out there. Did the, the governor's task force address some of the private 
levies as well? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, you do have levies that, that are not uh, part of the federal programs, uh, and there's an opportunity uh, for them to become uh, a part of the federal programs, and some levy uh, districts, you know, may decide to be a part of that. Uh, others uh, will, will others look to remain private and address the issues uh, on the local level, uh, which is also an opportunity. And there are programs uh, through the Arkansas Natural Resources Commission that that they're able to uh, get some funding uh, to address some of their maintenance issues and and uh, rehabilitation issues that they may have within their districts. In your discussions, I'm sure you've talked with a lot of uh, our, our former ranchers that are out there around the state. Um, we've had a pretty wet winter. We've had a wet spring. Fortunately, we haven't mm-hmm. had the kind of flooding that we saw last year. But um, is there a state of uneasiness out there? Because obviously nobody waved a magic wand and fixed all those levees in the last 11 months. Right. You know, I, I won't say that there's a state of easiness. You know, our, our farmers, uh, uh, what we say in the Marine Corps, that they adapt and overcome. And, uh, you know, we, we never know uh, what's next, what's going to hit us. But we do know that uh, we have to remain prepared and that we have to remain flexible. And uh, the levee system and the flooding uh, is just, another opportunity for us to work together to ensure that agriculture stays successful here in the state of Arkansas. I'm curious, and you may know or or know this, um, you know, farmers have to go and visit their, their, their bank, their lender on a regular basis when they're putting together their plan for what they're going to plant and, and things like that. Did you hear any any discussion out there as we went into this spring season where farmers might have been having problems securing the loans necessary to to do their planting simply because the levy system is so degraded and and a bank may shy away from a a loan on ground that you know they know there's a good chance of flooding. Did you hear any of that? That's a good question. I I have to say I have not heard that uh yet from any farmers. Um I, I think the I think that, you know, COVID nineteen has definitely overshadowed a lot of issues, but I haven't heard about um the levy system having that type of impact on farmers at this particular time. Where do you think, Jason, uh, things go from here? What are some of the next steps? That you see uh, in this, because it's a vast levy system throughout the state, uh, and some of the districts have been active and and maintaining their levies. Others, you know, may not have done anything for for decades. Uh, what are some of the next steps you see in in improving and restoring the levies? Well, simply put, I see us building off the momentum right now. Uh, all across Arkansas, uh, not just those in agriculture, not just our farmers and ranchers, everyone uh, sees the value of our levy system. And so I think the way forward is we're going to build off that momentum, one, by uh, using uh, 
the results from the Arkansas Levy Task Force as well as our current levy uh, policies, and we are going to work with uh, our legislature uh, to develop um, some some legislation uh, regarding the levies for the next session that address some of the issues uh, that are needed right now, such as the consolidation of some of the levy systems, uh, some of the levy systems uh, using the federal programs available, uh, some of the levy uh, boards that uh, need to meet, need to get uh, redeveloped, understand the procedures, how to address maintenance and inspections, and a more concerted effort to ensure that not only are the levies working uh, individually, but as a system, as a whole, that they're able to address the issues across Arkansas uh, if we have flooding in the future. Well, we've been talking with Jason Smedley. He's the Assistant Director of Local and Rural Affairs for Arkansas Farm Bureau, and Jason's been following the uh, levy restoration issue. We're coming up in May on the one-year anniversary of that devastating flood. And, Jason, uh, thanks for keeping uh, heads up for the uh, Arkansas Farm Bureau membership, our farmers and ranchers, and what's going on with levies. This will obviously be a ongoing issue over the next uh, several years, and uh, we certainly appreciate your efforts, and thank you for visiting with Arkansas AgCast today. Glad to do it. Thanks for having me. Next, Ken Moore speaks to State Representative Jeff Wardlaw of House District 8 in southeast Arkansas. His family owns a tomato and produce farm at Hermitage in Bradley County, and Ken talked to him about the quality of this year's tomato crop, the future of the annual Pink Tomato Festival, how COVID-19 is affecting demand for fresh produce, and more. I'm Ken Moore on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. I have the pleasure of speaking with State Representative Jeff Wardlaw. Jeff represents House District 8 in southeast Arkansas. His family has a tomato and produce operation in Permitage, Arkansas, Bradley County. Jeff also serves on the House Agriculture, Forestry, and Economic Development Committee, so he represents the farmers and ranchers of his district and the rest of the state. And, Jeff, thank you so much for visiting with us today on AgCast. Yes, sir, and good to be here with you today, Ken. Thank you for having me. All right, let's just dive into this thing. Uh, we know that... Uh, Produce is huge in southeast Arkansas and around the state, and uh, we know it's been a very wet spring. Once again, two years in a row, we've had uh, excessive rainfall, storms coming through almost weekly. Uh, how is that affecting the uh, produce operations down there on your farm and in uh, southeast Arkansas? Oh, man, it's it's bad. I mean, you, you look at the fields and it's kind of like driving through the Delta and you see in spots where they didn't plant. Um, you can't lay plastic when it's too wet and you can't lay plastic in a lake. So um, it's definitely affected us. And it is the second year, as you said, in a row that we've had these torrential rains this time of year. Uh, and we're just hoping, hoping we have a demand and a market and able to sell what we can get planted. I talked to your good friend down there here recently and did an interview with John Gavin a couple of weeks ago about the tomato crop, and he told me then that it was right at this at that point a couple of weeks ago that you were moving 
uh, the plants out of the uh, greenhouses, hothouses, uh, into the fields, and uh, and they were becoming exposed to the elements at that point. I know the harvest doesn't occur until June, but uh, still, we need dry, warm weather, don't we, right now? Absolutely. Uh, we need we need sunshine, and we can pump all the water we need. I know some people don't like to hear that, but we would rather pump it than depend on Mother Nature because you can't predict Mother Nature. I can predict that pump. I was so. told by uh, uh, someone else who knows a tomato farmer down there in, in Bradley County uh, that he covered his tomato plants with plastic cups. And then, in fact, you, we talk about input costs. We talk about extra expenses. He said that one farmer, it cost him $900 just to protect his plants from the uh, potential freeze or frost that you all were worried about two weeks ago right after Easter. Did it, that, that's a huge expense. That Thankfully, the crop, as I understand it, was not really damaged, but just trying to protect it was very expensive. I know people that had 50 to 60 acres under styrofoam cups. So, wow. yes, um, styrofoam cups is a, is a method to try to, you know, insulate that tomato from the actual freeze itself. Uh, some people burn hay bales. Some even rent helicopters to keep the air movement over the fields throughout that the night of the freeze. Um, I've seen everything tried and used, um, and the good news was this year, not a lot of damage from the freeze. We've had more damage from the heavy winds and hailstorms than we have had freeze. Despite that, are you still hopeful of having a uh, quality crop this year? Oh, absolutely. I think the crops are going to be fine. Uh, I I drove through yesterday on a Sunday drive just looking at other people's farms, and the the crops are coming along fine. Uh, if we can, you know, dodge the next few of these severe thunderstorms, we'll be in, we'll be in great shape because we're getting close to the hot, dry time. We just got to make it a few more weeks. Yes, sir. Well, we hope we get into some dry weather. Uh, and and I know we need warm warm temperatures, and the temperatures will warm up. We just don't need any more of these weekly storms. Uh, but with the COVID-19 restrictions and all, I know that uh, Warren and Bradley County uh, really kicks off the uh, festival season with the uh, uh, Pink Tomato Festival that everyone looks forward to the uh, 1st of June. And yet, uh, what can you update us on about the status of the festival? And uh, understand you might have to re- reschedule it. Yes, sir. Uh, right now, we are looking at making a uh, final decision next uh, in the next few weeks, the first week of May. But uh, hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, things will settle down and we could have a festival this scheduled week. I don't think that's going to happen. I think what you're going to see is uh, it's going to be more like a fall festival this year instead of a summer. And we'll have some kind of fireworks show or something that that traditional week of June that people can enjoy from their car. That way we can still ensure social distancing and all the things that we have to do to keep people safe during this terrible time. Well, it's unfortunate. You may have to delay it, but uh, uh, I know when you get the word out about when you have a, a weekend when you can reschedule it, uh, then you'll have – because it's a huge economic uh, – Bradley County, the city of Warren, depends on this. Uh, every year you have, good night, I think, 
five between five and ten thousand people down there on the around their county courthouse, don't you? Oh yeah, absolutely, and it's a huge deal to this to this county. You know, it's economic engine for for the summer. Um, I would hate to see us have to go a year without it. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to realize how important it is um, when you don't have it versus when you do have it. Uh, but yeah, I think I think we'll have the festival. It just may be tied in conjunction with a normal fall festival or or um, late summer instead of June. Well, as John Gavin told me, you produce tomatoes and and fine ripened tomatoes are available throughout most of the summer. Uh, and I know that that's huge. People they look forward to getting boxes and crates of vine ripened tomatoes to take home when they're first coming off the vine, uh, even though that might be a little uh, after that fact when you reschedule the festival, uh, you can still celebrate the importance of the tomato industry, can't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. May not have the, the tomatoes on every corner like normal, but we could still have a good time and let everybody know we had a harvest that summer and it turned out okay. Great. Let's transition a little bit to another issue, uh, Jeff, and that's uh, in other states, in Florida and California right now, where they're harvesting and and they produce produce year-round. The restrictions, the closing of restaurants, schools, other clients for produce growers, where you normally sell many of your product, uh, they're having to dispose of produce due to lack of demand. And that's not happening in Arkansas just yet, and hopefully it will not. What are your concerns about that if restaurants are not able to have eat-in dining very soon? It's, it's, it's actually very dangerous to the industry. Um, you know, fresh produce, traditionally, the biggest market for it is in the uh, restaurant area. And when we don't have the restaurants, we won't have the demand. And that's one thing Florida and California are seeing today, and they're dumping out. I've made some posts showing some cucumber dumpage, and it was tens of thousands of tons of cucumbers being dumped. Uh, same thing goes for tomatoes. I shared a post a week or so ago of tomatoes being dumped in Immokalee, Florida. Um, it, it is it is detrimental to our industry if we don't get our restaurants back open. Um, I understand we got to be safe, and I understand we need social distancing, and I, I understand that more than anybody meaning that I work in the medical industry as well. So I, I'm not suggesting that we open before we're ready, but our food industry is hurting right now because the demand's not there. I know folks are going to the grocery store and they see empty shelves and they think the demand is there, but that's a different demand than the restaurant demand. I know the Arkansas Department of Agriculture uh, through its Arkansas Grown, Arkansas Made program working with local produce growers to connect them with retail clients, uh, some local restaurants, uh, maybe not the big chains, but uh, locally owned and operated restaurants. Uh, have you been able to uh, work with that? That seems to be uh, helping create a market for produce growers and locally grown, uh, and that's happening right now with people that grow berries. I know the strawberry uh, harvest is well underway right now. We'll have uh, blueberry and blackberry uh, sales as well very very soon but uh how about working with local restaurants directly through the department of agriculture oh absolutely i think i think every farmer is going to have to try new unconventional ways to to ensure 
the demand for their product stays, you know, as, as normal as possible. And, uh, and I commend anybody for working through any department or anywhere to, to ensure that. But the last thing we want to see is farmers dumping their livelihood out in the woods somewhere for the wildlife to have. Uh, we, we we already dumped too many away for heavy grade, you know, grading and grading it to a high standard. We don't need to dump the good stuff out for sure. That's a fact, and uh, hopefully that will not happen here in Arkansas. No, Governor Hutchinson, what uh, is your latest? Well, I know you connect with the uh, governor's office on a regular basis as a state representative. Uh, did he indicate any timeline? Uh, I know he's going to start allowing some things to reopen slowly. Uh, on a day-by-day basis, but uh, as far as the restaurants, has he given any signals about when uh, restaurants, uh, whether for eat-in and, and other things? I know you can drive through, but drive-through uh, food, and uh, there's a lot of lines at uh, McDonald's and other fast food restaurants, either even steakhouses. You can call ahead and, and order meals, and they'll have them ready for you, but uh, that's not compensating for the eat-in dining. What has the governor said about that? Um, he, he said he would make more light about it this week, but May 5th was supposed to be the date, I think, for restaurants, but they still have to maintain social distancing, which is six foot distance. And a lot of restaurants just don't have the room or the capacity to get the customers in to make it worthwhile under the six foot guidelines. So I, I don't know what we'll end up doing on that. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how those changes play out. Um, but we'll pay attention to the Department of Health and see what their guidance is and what their predictions are over the next few days. But I think it's too early to comment on exactly how it's going to look when, you know, overall the state population, our, our tests are decline, our positive tests are declining when you look at the statistics of it. But our prison population has increased. And what scares me is those prison guards go back out into the public every day when they get off work. And that could spark another outbreak. So we just really need a vaccine or or, or this virus just to go away. And I know that's not going to happen, but that's what we need. Uh, we need life back as normal as possible, for sure. Let's talk about labor. Produce is uh, labor dependent uh, on harvesting uh, the crops that you grow, uh, certainly all over southeast Arkansas and the rest of the state. Uh, has because of the restrictions and the protocols, is that a problem? Uh, do you anticipate that being a problem this summer for you and other growers down there in your neighborhood? It, it was a problem getting in our planning crews uh, a few back when the COVID-19 first hit um, uh, Arkansas and America. Um, we were able to work through those issues and get our planning crews here. They were a couple weeks late, but we did get them. Uh, we were real nervous last week when the president announced that he was going to close the borders. Um, but then we found out that there was a, an exception in there for H-2A workers, which are the uh, definition of our our migrant employees. And with that exception, we've been able to get our appointment dates for May to get our harvest crews here. So we're hoping that that stands true and we're able to get our crews here because there's just the labor force that's needed to harvest produce just it's not here. And um, without our immigrant workers, it, it, it's impossible to harvest 
the number of acres or the sheer volume of produce that we'll have to harvest in the next 45 days. I don't know if it's something that would be advantageous for growers like yourselves and your family, but as you likely know, Congressman Rick Crawford uh, has established what he's calling the Farm Corps Program to reach out to uh, servicemen, uh, retired military veterans, others, uh, to help fill that gap for farmers who may not have access to uh, migrant labor. Uh, do you think that will be advantageous or could be utilized by anybody down in uh, southeast Arkansas? Yeah, absolutely. I don't – you know, the, the – absolutely. We would we would hire or take anybody and most definitely support a veteran anytime we could. Um, it, it's just – it's very intense manual labor, and it's, it's just very difficult to find um, – people that want to do that type of work and these h2a workers you know they're looking for you know a, an eight to nine week job to care money back to their families and they it's just traditionally that's the only people that want to do that type of labor um yeah but but we would hire anybody and, and more definitely hire a veteran any day of the week to help them they they're they've the ones that made it possible for us to do what we're doing here today that's great. Uh, you just concluded the uh, budget session of the state legislature here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and yet, with that in mind as well, not just on the local level, but uh, I believe it was the end of last week, President Trump signed and Congress finally sent to his desk another uh, aid package that's got a lot of uh, money available. It was a, like, I think, a $500 billion uh, package that the president signed. Uh, Secretary Purdue uh, was acutely involved in the development of that aid to uh, maintain and support our farmers and ranchers all across the country. How important will that aid be, and how will it help? Well, that that aid is going to be uh, imperative. Uh, you know, the PP, the payment protection uh, loans that came out a few weeks ago. The, the government didn't anticipate those running out of funds as quickly as they did. Uh, our small businesses make up America. That's what makes up rural Arkansas, and that's what makes up America ultimately. And we we have to ensure their ability to be in business tomorrow. And this new aid package has some more money in it for those same type loans. And I suspect if, if people are waiting for those loans, they need to get their applications in quickly because that money's going to run out just as fast as the last money did. Um, there wasn't a lot in the PPE program for actual farmers, and I think they have put together a farm package now. And I think that's awesome because we, we definitely need help also. Like we talked about earlier, demand problems are going to be an issue, especially in fresh fresh market items like produce and beef and, and chickens and and uh, pork industries. So we we need help, too, and we want to ensure that we can feed America tomorrow when this is over. And finally, uh, let's talk about something the state. I know the priority for Governor Hutchinson. It has been. It was a uh, very important topic and, and item for him, and one of his priorities in the last full session of the General Assembly. Uh, is broadband access and expansion of broadband in rural communities. There are uh, uh, programs. There was money made available through the uh, 2018 Farm Bill uh, for rural 
uh, cooperatives and others, telecoms, to partner together to make broadband more available. But now with schools being closed, there are some unique uh, methods being used to make sure that students who are required to stay at home have access to the Internet. Talk about that. Yeah, and, and Ken, I'm going to tell you, I think one of the biggest problems with broadband is we've never really looked at it as a commodity like electricity or water. And today, broadband is as important as electricity and water to daily life. And one thing I've seen our schools do, and I, I can't thank them enough for stepping up, is they went out and bought these hotspots and put on buses, and they're parking these buses around in parking lots where people can still practice social distancing but yet still have availability to high-speed Internet so that they can complete their AMI packets and they can they can get their schoolwork done now that we're out of school. Um, so I think we're going to see some good initiatives come out of this, uh, such as broadband and availability, and we'll figure out a way to make broadband more affordable and faster in our rural areas so that people have the same opportunities as we have if we lived in Little Rock or or we lived in Chicago or any of the big cities across the nation. So I'm excited to see what comes out of this when it comes to broadband, but I'm very pleased to say that my local schools in Southeast Arkansas have stepped up in a big way to help our students. And just dovetailing on that, uh, if you can, uh, from your work on the Agriculture Committee and other uh, committees there within the House of Representatives. I know Mr. Branscombe, I believe, leads the Rural Development Program for the state, and he's kind of the point man. I was at a uh, news conference with uh, Congressman Westerman uh, last year in 2019 where they announced this partnership, uh, and it was uh, the news conference held in Camden, but it was a multi-county partnership to make broadband access uh, more available to expand it in that part of the state. Uh, and he talked about how more of these partnerships need to be developed. Uh, to your knowledge, uh, and just give a promotion about how other rural communities can do that. Yeah, well, one thing that happened over at Camden was Satco Telephone Company out of Hampton has teamed up with Washita Electric, and they've teamed up in a way to get uh, fiber moved down the the power line so they can get it to to more families and, and access higher. And that's the kind of that's the kind of engineering and um inventorship that we need to see from other areas across the across the state to be able to get that access out there. I mean there's a lot of places that running a fiber optic line underground is just too expensive. So we gotta figure out new and inventive ways to get it out there. And that was one thing they did with that partnership. And they and they used that because of Highland Industrial Park was one of the ways they figured out how to how to do that. So we just need to see more and more of those those innovative ideas and like I told you, it, broadband's becoming just as important as electricity nowadays. I mean it's the way everything's done and we got to make sure that we can stay up with the world in southeast Arkansas and Arkansas as a whole and offering broadband to all of our, our young folks and our adults, too. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Jeff, just as we conclude this visit, uh, give an encouraging word. We've been in unusual times. These are unprecedented days. And, and as you referenced earlier, once even things ease up a little bit, maybe uh, we're allowed to move about 
a little more freely, return to normal. We've got to get our small businesses back open. We've got to take people off the unemployment lines. Uh, give an encouraging word, but just talk about how, as a state legislator, this is going to change the way we have life for years to come, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think so. But I, I think it will for the good. Um, one thing we've always done in America is when we had to adapt, we adapt very well. And I think this this will cause us to have an adaptation. Um, I, I believe it's going to – it's showing us how important broadband is, for one. I mean, you got all these people trying to work from home. You've got kids trying to do AMI packets at, at home. You've got college students that the only way they're completing college right now is through online classes. So broadband's becoming more and more and more important, and it's people are starting to realize it. So I think broadband's going to be one of the biggest um, innovative things that come out of this. Um, I could tell you last week my house got hit by lightning, and the one thing it took out was our cell phone booster. And you would have thought you killed my house by taking cell phone signal away for a week. Wow. So it's 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 going to change in that aspect. Um, I, I'm really excited to see how we bounce back. Um uh, and and I do believe we'll bounce back in a bigger, better way than we've ever have before. Um, so really excited to see what the summer holds for for America and Southeast Arkansas, and and excited to see how our people become inventors again, and we invent a new way of life to deal with this virus. Well, have a great uh, growing season uh, this summer, Jeff, with your uh, tomatoes and other produce and. I hope that's true for all of your neighbors down there as well. We all depend on that. Look forward to it every year. And then we'll look forward to hopefully reconnecting with you here a little bit later on down the road to see how we're making it through the rest of the summer. Thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you, and thank you for what Farm Bureau does for all of our uh, farming community. We're all in this together, uh, Representative Wardlaw, and, uh, and, and we look forward and enjoy doing that and, and telling your stories. When speaking with uh, State Representative Jeff Wardlaw uh, of Hermitage, Arkansas, uh, in House District 8 on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Finally, Keith Sutton talks to Rusty Rumley, senior staff attorney at the National Agricultural Law Center in Fayetteville, about questions he and others at the center are getting about COVID-19 issues and what resources they offer to help farmers and ranchers during the outbreak. Welcome to AgCast. This is Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. And today I am talking to Rusty Rumley, who is Senior Staff Attorney at the National Agricultural Law Center in Fayetteville. Welcome to AgCast, Rusty. Hey, Keith. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you here today. I know you guys at the National Ag Law Center have been extremely busy uh, during the, the few weeks we've all been dealing with COVID-19, the coronavirus, and there's a lot of things going on that affect our our farmers and agriculture, uh, and we want to get into some of those today, and that's kind of one of your areas of expertise, is it not? That's what we're looking at at the moment. So let's just start. So people who may not know, Tell them a little bit about the National Ag Law Center and what y'all do there and how that relates to all this. So what we do at the center, we we serve the entire nation. We're based out of Arkansas, but we spend a great deal of time traveling around in times when, you know, we're not being restricted by the COVID-19. 
but uh, we work with farmers. We work with, and, and anymore, we're working with a lot of lawmakers as well as industry groups and others. Uh, our job is to provide legal uh, information. We can't give legal advice, and we can't tell people what to do, but we serve as a resource for people that have questions. So we're getting questions from all kinds of different industries and, and different legislative bodies on, you know, looking at things that sometimes we've seen them in the past and they might be useful for the situation we're dealing with now and other times we're dealing with brand new problems. So that's kind of what we've been doing here at the center is trying to coordinate and gather legal resources affecting agriculture uh, in one place. And with COVID-19, I bet you're getting a lot of questions from people. What are some of the specifics maybe? Can we delve into some of those as to what are some of the questions you're being asked and what kind of answers are you giving folks? <clears throat> so what we're trying to do right now is we're getting questions uh, for the CARES Act and then the most recent uh, CARES Act. Uh, we're getting questions on that. We're getting all kinds of questions on labor. So can you take the temperature of your employees? Uh, what if you have H2A labor? Are you going to be able to get them into the country? What happens if some of them come down with the sickness? You know, what do you, what do, you do? Uh, questions on contracts. Uh, we're already hearing from farmers that, especially along the lines of like ethanol plants, uh, because of the fall in oil prices, uh, there's been a, a large decrease uh, in the demand for ethanol. So you've got some of the ethanol plants that are shuttering down and just and breaking their contracts to buy corn from farmers. So there's general contract questions coming in. Uh, specialty crops. We got questions on, you know, what do you? Uh, people are growing these vegetables, and a lot of these vegetables they sold direct to restaurants, and now those restaurants aren't either in business at the moment or they're not doing the amount of business they typically do. You know, are there other ways they can sell it legally? Do they have to pay things like sales tax or and different states have different hoops that you have to jump through to be able to to get into different markets. So we're getting questions on a wide variety of topics. Uh, another thing we're starting to hear is because of the illness at so many of our slaughter plants, uh, we're starting to see backups in with animals. I mean that's and that there's going to be some legal questions on what happens if we start having to depopulate more barns and you know, disposal of, of livestock. And, I mean, there, there's going to be a whole host of issues, some of them that are coming up now, and there's going to be a lot of other issues that are going to start popping up down the road in the months to come. One of the things you mentioned there was the CARES Act. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening, maybe they've heard about it, but they really don't know a lot about it. Can you uh, tell us more about the CARES Act and what that is? So for uh, the, the part that applies to, to agriculture, uh, right now we've got the, the PPP program. It opened up yesterday with a second tranche of money. So uh, farmers are going to be able to apply for those uh, the loans through the PPP. Uh, there was some hiccups the first time they opened up the program. There was some issues. Uh, they, they weren't really sure 
how farmers could apply for those small business loans. They've answered a lot of those questions, and uh, there is a, a an opportunity for farmers to be able to apply for the PPP loans. The good thing about them is the majority of the loan can actually be forgiven so long as you you jump through all the hoops that you need to, and that's something you'd work with with your lender and your CPA to get it set up. Uh, you're going to want uh, to apply for those really quickly if you can because the chances are the money's not going to last very long. But that that's one's what, open that's right what now. Happened. Yeah, that happened the first go-round. Is that right? The money just quickly yep. disappeared. So folks don't yeah, want to miss it the second time. No, and they don't want to do it. And there's going to be a few restrictions, and one of the things that's going to be a little bit tricky is if you don't have any employees. So the PPP, the money is primarily set forth so that people will keep employees on their payroll, and they're not going to let them go, and then they go and file for unemployment. So if you're a farmer that doesn't have employees other than yourself, then they're going to be looking at, well, what was your net income last year? Well, for a lot of people, the Schedule F income tends to be really low because, right. well, last year was a terrible year for farming. And then the other thing is we like to use our uh, deductions and depreciation to drive down that income. So if you're one of the, the farmers that, you know, ended up with a negative uh, balance or a negative uh uh, cash flow last year, there can you may not be eligible for the PPP loans, but it's it's a good thing though to check with your your CPA and see, you know, is it worth uh, going in and filing for one of these loans? Because if you are, you're going to need to do it pretty quickly. But that's that's one thing that's available, and the other one is the emergency economic injury disaster loans, and these are loans. There's a, a little bit more. They're not as restrictive as the PPP loans. You can use them for more things. The thing is, you got to pay them back. But I mean, it's, it's a 3.75% interest loan, up to two million dollars, and uh, you got up to 30 years to pay it back. So that, that's another option for people. The, the EIDL loan that I just mentioned, uh, I don't think they've opened it up yet. I know okay. they had some problems yesterday. They opened up the PPP loans yesterday, but there were so many people applying, they crashed their systems. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, there's another thing I've been hearing about, and I'm sure some of our listeners have too, and I'm not sure how it works. Let's see if that relates to what you do, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. That's something that was just announced by USDA. Is, Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, uh, back April 17th is when USDA uh, first released information on that. USDA is planning on spending about $19 billion. Uh, $3 billion of it is going to be to buy food for food banks. The other $16 billion, they are planning on paying it out in the form of direct payments straight to farmers. So we don't know a whole lot of details about the program yet. Uh, we're expecting to start seeing more of this stuff in May. We know what the breakdown is. So of the $16 billion that's going to go to farmers, 5.1 is supposed to go to ranchers, $2.9 billion is going to dairy, 3.9 is going to row crop, and $2.1 billion is going to specialty crops. Uh, and then $1.6 billion is going to hogs. So 
we know we know the amounts of money. We know that there's going to be a payment limitation of $125,000 per commodity with an overall limit of uh, $250,000 per individual, or if you've got you know multiple entities, you can get up to, to $250,000. So we know those the basics there. We just don't know how they're going to set the, the prices, like how are they going to – what prices are they going to base the calculations on? And we're expecting them to release that sometime in May, and then we think farmers will probably be able to start signing up shortly thereafter. So there's a lot of things going on right now, and it's it seems to me like we're in a situation this year with the virus that there's just a lot of things kind of up in the air, and there's a lot of things that folks feel like they're in the dark about. But what we want them to know is that the National Ag Law Center is there to help, right? That's right. Like I said, we can't give legal advice, but we can help show people where resources are. We're trying to put as much of this stuff up on our website as we possibly can so that people can get educated and, and get a jump on things before, you know, the, the next wave comes of whatever so, problem might happen. Let everybody know uh, how do they get to your website and what are they going to find there? Uh, the website address is nationalaglawcenter.org. You can just Google National Ag Law Center and it pulls up first thing. Uh, on our homepage, we've got resources that take you straight to uh, the COVID-19 uh, stuff that we've put together. But right now, like I said, we're – Every day it seems like there's a new topic coming in. And the things that we've talked about are are things that are happening now. There, there are pots of money that are either open or will be coming open in the near future to help people weather some of the issues. But it, I think it's going to be important for people to realize that there's going to be more problems that flow from this coming down the road. I mean, there's going to be market volatility. There's going to be people, you know, with uh, contracts. Uh, people trying to cancel contracts. Uh, we're going to be seeing, you know, all kinds of, of consequences, legal and economic, coming down the road. So, even even when we all get back to work, uh, it's we're going to start seeing. We're still going to be dealing with consequences from this for for some time to come. Well, it's comforting to know that we got some experts out there who can at least. Uh, direct our ag people in the right direction so they can get the information they need. This is sort of all about keeping a safe food supply and keeping our our farm workers healthy. Uh, that's kind of what it boils down to, right? Right. Well, uh, we appreciate you today taking time to visit with us on AgCast. Uh, I want to say once again, folks can go to nationalaglawcenter.org to get more information. Uh, and there's folks over there who are ready to help uh, in ways that they can, and we're very appreciative of what you all do there. Well, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And if there's anything we can do in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you very much, Rusty. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot, Keith. That's it for this week. Arkansas AgCast returns next week with the latest news and updates about the state's largest industry.